Don't ever laugh or mock at something that you just don't understand yet, because you may be mocking something that actually is truly beneficial. And just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean that the benefit doesn't exist. Such is the case with a common tool in labor and delivery, once considered hokey and weird and alternative. We're talking about the Swiss ball or the birthing ball. Yes, it's true. Let me confess, I have been known to every once in a while pick up a clean birthing ball and throw it across to one of my coworkers. I, it just feels so liberating, doesn't it? I mean, just to hit him in the head with a big old ball. Uh, yes, I did that once, and our security, our hospital police was walking by. They're like, "Oh, I guess you're all are super busy in the unit today." Uh, yes, we are. Keep moving. Keep moving along. Anyway, it made me feel better. But don't play with the birthing ball because it really is a valuable tool. Or is it? I mean, is there really data behind this for labor and delivery and pain relief? Or is it just kind of a hokey trend? Well, in this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of this. You see, a lot of lessons were actually picked up from midwifery. And then once data actually built on the practice, traditional obstetricians took it from midwifery and said, this is now an obstetrical tool and no longer belongs with midwifery. Yeah, I hate to say it, but that is kind of the pathway and the nature of our field of medicine. We've stolen a lot of things from midwifery, and we've denied a lot of benefits from midwifery as well. Back in the archives of the podcast, we did an episode called Lessons Learned from Midwifery. You can find that at another time or once you're done with this episode and go back and listen to that because it really does show how traditional OBGYN as a discipline really has borrowed, aka stolen, a lot of lessons from midwifery. Uh, And I hate that, but at least now, thankfully, midwifery and traditional OBGYN, we are now moving in parallel instead of trying to collide uh, and and compete one against another. We really are on a team. We're on the same boat here, guys. So let's tackle the evidence behind the birthing ball. Is this a toy or is this truly a labor tool? Let's get into the data right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Some of this information is coming from a soon-to-be-released expert review from the American Journal of OBGYN. This was accepted for publication just on March the 20th, 2023, and this is still an article in press. That means it's available ahead of print, but it hasn't formally been published out for mass use just yet. The title is Birthing Balls to Decrease Labor Pain and Peanut Balls to Decrease Length of Labor. What's the evidence? Even though this article does cover the peanut ball as well, I want to focus this episode on the birthing ball. Let's cover that data first, because I also want to look into the history of how we even came to use this thing in labor and delivery. And yes, it's very similar to the exercise ball. And I thought this history is pretty fascinating when we did the research on it. And I'm going to share that with you. So I want to share that history and then go into the data here, because this is specifically being used as a non-pharmacological method to reduce pain. So we're going to go over the data to see if that works or not. Now, before I go any further, as you all know from previous episodes, I'm a big advocate of pain relief, all right? I love the epidural. I think that's got a great role. I think in the second stage of labor, I think nitrous has a great, a fantastic job uh, to take away some pain as a dissociative agent. 
nitrous fell into disuse with the COVID pandemic because of fear of aerosolization in a patient who may be an asymptomatic carrier uh, or incubating the virus before it's detected. But nitrous also has a great role. But we're talking about non-pharmacological agents right now, and this is a great option if the data shows that it works. And that's why we're doing this episode, to let the data talk for itself. So all to say, I'm a big fan of epidurals. This is not trying to throw epidurals off to the side. There is definitely a role. But remember, not all patients want that or don't want it just yet. They're good with an epidural. They just want to hold off as long as possible uh, to see how they can do it or manage without it. And that's perfectly fine. It's every patient's right and preference to labor as they like. But again, all to say, even though the title covers the birthing ball and the peanut ball, we're just going to focus on the birthing ball in this episode. I learned something when we were reviewing the history of this labor birthing ball because it had nothing to do with labor to begin with. And it's actually not even called a birthing ball at all. It's called a Swiss ball. And even that's wrong (laughs) because it has nothing to do with Switzerland. This was actually invented in Italy. What? Look, I don't know. I'm telling you, we searched many, many articles, a lot of data on this. And I can tell you 100% it was invented in Italy because the person who invented it was an engineer named Aquilo Cosani. And that was in 1963. And he did this both as a toy, but also to try to find some practical uses uh, for physical conditioning. He thought really that this could help uh, muscle flexibility and help reduce some joint pain. And it was also kind of be a cool toy if you had this big uh, kind of plastic, rigid, but soft ball uh, that could function as a toy for kids, but also had some medicinal value. One of the first medicinal or rehab purposes for this ball was for neurodevelopmental treatment purposes. In other words, this was really for children with cerebral palsy as a way to help their flexibility and their coordination. So it was actually used as a neurodevelopment tool. And yes, you're right. This is also called the exercise ball because that was a parallel tract of use. This was used in gyms as a way to, again, increase flexibility and muscle tone. Now, what's interesting is that it wasn't called the Swiss ball. It wasn't called the Italian ball because the original creator of this actually called it the Pezzi ball. That's P-E-Z-Z-I, the Pezzi ball. Because it was easy to use, it was very novel, and it was relatively cheap to acquire, it spread across Italy and across Europe. Then it got the attention of some physical therapists. These physical therapists saw its use, again, in conditioning, and in joint rehab, and in limb rehab, and so it entered into the world of physical therapy. From physical therapy, then comes a transition into labor pain management. And the idea was, is by sitting on this ball and by rocking back and forth, it would reduce pain because it would help the flexibility of the sacrum and the pelvis and help with the pelvic outlet. That was all theoretical. There was no real evidence for that, but it just kind of made sense based on a neurodevelopmental model, based on rehab studies, and in short, just based on the fact that movement could help fetal descent. This introduction of the Pessy ball into obstetrics was really the work of two individuals, Bettis and Simkin, who introduced the Pessy ball really through midwifery as a way to have non-pharmacological pain reduction uh, outside of the hospital facility. And we've never looked back since. This actually started taking off in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. 
even though its rate of rise, its rate of incorporation into obstetrical practice really did take off during those years, you can actually trace it back to the 1980s where some midwives were incorporating it into their labor pain management policies and procedures. But until then, most of the evidence was anecdotal. Until recently, there had been limited data regarding its efficacy. But now, like in this new article coming out in the Gray Journal, people are looking at this data and even the existing level one data to see if it actually holds up under scientific scrutiny. Now that we've kind of laid down a brief history of where we've been and where we are now, now let's get to the meat of this episode. Let's take a look at the data right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just to be clear, this is traditionally used in the first stage of labor and traditionally done in women without an epidural. Of course, with an epidural, you've got less control of your lower extremities and there's a real potential of slipping off the ball and causing some kind of injury. So just to be clear, this is, again, an alternative uh, to non-pharmacological pain medication. So if a patient gets some statol or morphine, please don't put her on the birthing ball. I mean, I, that just makes sense here, guys, right? This is an alternative to pharmacological intervention. The whole concept of this thing is that by sitting or bouncing or moving back and forth, not only does it give pain relief, and I'm going to go over the theory as to how that possibly works, even though we don't know the true science yet. There's plenty of theories. Um, but more importantly, that movement, that rocking of the Elvis, uh, it's theorized can help with fetal descent and the internal rotation of the fetus as it descends. Remember those cardinal phases of labor? Well, it turns out that lying flat on your back with no movement at all is terrible. (laughs) Again, go back to that episode on lessons learned from midwifery. But there is actually some mechanical benefits, some labor forces that work better in the upright position. So when the patient is sitting on the birthing ball, obviously just by de facto, the fact that the patient is now vertical and helps open up the pelvic outlet, there seems to be a potential benefit here for labor progress. But the focus isn't so much on the labor speed or or the length of labor. This episode is talking about the use of this ball specifically for pain reduction. Oh, as a quick side note, one of our labor and delivery nurses is Letty. She's fantastic, all right? She's, I mean, seasoned. She knows what she's doing. And every once in a while, she'll come up to me. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Letty, that patient is just in so much pain. I mean, she get her some pain medicine, for heaven's sakes. She'll say, don't worry, Dr. Chapa. I've got the birthing ball coming. I've, I've got taken care of. And Letty gets these patients delivered. I'm telling you, Letty, nice job. She's a big fan of the peanut ball and the birthing ball. Uh, anyway, I, I'm glad to work with her. All of our labor and delivery nurses are just top notch. But anyway, a little shout out to Letty because I always see her walking around either with a birthing ball or the peanut ball. And I know she's on the move to get somebody delivered. We mentioned, of course, that this should be in patients without an epidural, but especially in patients with an epidural, please don't let those patients just lie on their back in a supine position or even with a tilt because movement is key. 
For individuals laboring with an epidural, ACOG does support frequent maternal position changes to support maternal comfort and facilitate proper fetal positioning. So just because they have an epidural doesn't mean they can't have any different positioning or different maneuvers because it does definitely help. That's an ACOG's committee opinion number 766, which is approaches to limit intervention during labor and delivery, and that was published in 2019. There are several RCTs that support the safety and the efficacy of the birthing ball to decrease pain in labor. A small 2011 RCT by Tavani et al. reviewed outcomes of 60 individuals laboring without an epidural that were randomized to either the birthing ball group or to no birthing ball group. They found a significant difference in subjective pain scores in the birthing ball group compared with the no ball group. They found no differences in the length of labor, however, between the two groups. There was also another RCT in 2011 by Gao, that's G-A-U, that also found that the birthing ball group significantly had decreased maternal pain scores and increased the rate of the childbirth experience. You know we're not going to stop with just two RCTs, but it is reassuring that both of them did show in a randomized fashion that the labor birthing ball did reduce pain scores, and above all that, there was no risks. A 2015 meta-analysis and systematic review included three RCTs involving over 200 individuals laboring without an epidural who were randomized to either the birthing ball group or to the no birthing ball group. The review found that the use of the birthing ball was associated with significantly improved pain and labor reported on a visual analog scale. All to say, that's now we've got two RCTs, we've got this meta-analysis from 2015, and there's another meta-analysis from 2021. And of course, as the years progress, so does the data. Because this systematic review and meta-analysis from 2021 now reviewed seven RCTs and included over 500 pregnant individuals. They all had a singleton child, they all had a cephalic fetus at term, and they were randomized to either the birthing ball or to no birthing ball during labor. In all of these RCTs, individuals randomized to the intervention group were provided with a birthing ball and instructed to perform rocking or other pelvic mobility exercises on the birthing ball during labor. This meta-analysis found that pain during active labor, reported on a scale of 1 to 10, was significantly reduced in those who used the birthing ball. Again, the main point here is it did seem to work, and there's really no risk outside of the patient kind of falling over and hurting herself, which is almost impossible unless she's got some narcotic on board. So just make sure that she's mentally alert, she understands what to do, and they really should have at least some guided instructions on how to use the ball, again, just to keep them safe. Now that we're getting to the end of this quick review of the birthing ball or the Swiss ball or the exercise ball, whatever you want to call it, just call it the ball. <laughs> Let's get into the potential theories of how this thing works. All right, so what do we know about this birthing ball thing? Well, we know that based on the data, it's not a lot of data, but it is based on level one evidence. And even though we could always use more, there's existing data already. So first of all, if you're an advocate of the birthing ball, if you're a nurse midwife uh, or a physician, a PA or anybody in women's health and who loves it and gets a lot of grief because there's no data that works, 
tell them you're wrong. <laughs> there is data. There's individual RCTs, there's cohort studies, and there's meta-analyses that does support that this works as a pain relief tool. However, it doesn't seem to have any effect on the length of labor or on the mode of delivery. But that's okay because the purpose of this thing really is for pain reduction. Labor can be difficult, obviously, and the last thing we want to do is trigger labor-associated PTSD. That's a real thing. So if this can increase the patient experience, reduce pain without the use of medication, why not? As the authors of this new gray journal publication state, the mechanism of pain relief from this birthing ball is really unknown. Some have theorized that it could be due to decreased pressure on the nerves that overlie the iliosacral joint. Others believe it has to do with what's called the gate control theory of pain. This is where non-nociceptive stimuli inhibit signals from nociceptive nerve fibers. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If one area of your body is feeling pain and you apply pressure or use another stimuli at another part of your body, you can kind of confuse your CNS system to a degree of what's going on. I mean, that's the whole reason that when something hurts, you kind of walk around, you kind of, you know, pace up and down. And yes, it's a pain response, but what your body is also innately trying to do is to distract itself from that pain signal. That's called the non-nociceptor reflex blocking the nociceptor nerve fibers. Even though we don't have a true physiological or biochemical answer of how this thing works, the short of it is it's a low-cost, safe intervention that can be offered to laboring patients to try to increase their birthing experience. Also, the mechanics of moving back and forth can honestly help with the natural progression of the cardinal phases of labor. So next time someone mocks you for grabbing the peanut ball or the birthing ball, tell them, yep, it's not just a toy, it's a labor tool. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have summarized a new article coming down the Gray Journal. That's the American Journal of OBGYN under the section Expert Review. The lead author is Grenvik, and the title is Birthing Ball to Decrease Labor Pain and Peanut Balls to Decrease Length of Labor. What's the evidence? As always, we're thankful for you, and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. <laughs>